Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you had some good time with family and friends. I wish Miss Courtney come over to my house during Christmas and play the piano like that, and we'd sing those songs and enjoy the time. So you're invited, always. Uh, this morning, we're going to finish up uh, what we started a couple of weeks ago, a three-part series on who Christ is as prophet, priest, and king. And I want to remind you, like we talked about last week, how important it is to see how Jesus Christ fulfills the promises made by God in each of these three offices. And we talked about last week how you can look all throughout Scripture and you're going to find examples of those who served as a king, those who served as a prophet, those who served as a priest. But the promise of God is that the Messiah would be the only one in whom all three offices would ultimately be fulfilled. And that fulfillment would surpass any expectations that anyone had of any of those offices. You remember how we talked about who Jesus was as king, and the expectation would be that he came to, to conquer the enemies and overrun foreign rulers. But in fact, Christ came to conquer sin and death. And that even though there are many kings and rulers who will come and go over the ages, we understand that Jesus Christ's reign will have no end. That even now, as Paul tells the Corinthians, that he is putting all enemies under his feet until the last enemy, the enemy of death, is ultimately and completely destroyed. And in that day, every knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. We talked about how Jesus was a prophet like Moses, that he was a spokesperson for God, showing the way, showing the truth, but, but not just speaking those things. He says that I am the way. I am the truth. If you believe in me, no one comes to the Father except through me. You see, Jesus didn't have just a, a special relationship like Moses had. He actually had a relationship of perfect fellowship with God. So that every word spoken by the mouth of Jesus was a word from God, because Jesus is God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the great prophet who speaks to all the things that God said would be ultimately fulfilled in him. And so all the prophets that preceded him spoke of him and told what would happen through him. This morning we're going to look at Jesus as the perfect high priest. And not unlike the other two offices, we're going to see how he fulfilled that role, but far exceedingly beyond what anybody ever expected or imagined. We'll see how that priest was serving as a mediator between God and man. But as Paul tells Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ, who gave his life as a ransom for all. So we're going to unpack that a little bit this morning and see what that means for us. And as we do, I want to remind you that we have now stacked those three lenses together. And when we see who Christ is as prophet, priest, and king, it should give us utmost clarity of how the promises were fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. But seeing is only one thing. We will be able to see. The question is, do you believe? And if so, what impact does that have in your life? And I want to encourage you this morning not to, to listen to accumulate more information, but instead 
Listen in order to understand how what you've learned should impact how you live. How you should be different because of what this says, what Scripture teaches us this morning. So let's pray with that heart in mind as we open up God's Word. Father, as we come to you this morning, we do pray for the ability to not just see, but to see and believe in such a way that what we hear, what we learn, impacts how we live. That we wouldn't be the same person walking out of this room that walked into this room. That there would be light shed on areas of sin in our life where we know that we can come to you with confidence, to the throne of grace, confessing that sin, finding forgiveness in your sacrifice on our behalf. Help us to understand the the magnitude of that sacrifice and what that means for how you've allowed us to, to live, empowered by your Spirit given to us through faith and trust in your Son, Jesus Christ. May we live out the things that we learned this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 5. There's a lot of places we could go to talk about Jesus as the perfect high priest, but this is a a good place for us to spend a little time this morning. So if you would, turn to Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1. And let's look at these verses together. Beginning in verse 1, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 says this. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of men in things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is beset with weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins as for people, so also for himself. And no one takes the honor to himself, but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. Well, last week when we looked at who Jesus was as a prophet like Moses, one of the things we had to do is kind of dig a little deeper and understand, well, what does it mean to be a prophet like Moses? This morning, if we're going to understand who Jesus is as the perfect high priest, We need to dig a little deeper to understand what exactly that role of high priest is all about. And so, if you would, go ahead and keep your finger in Hebrews 5, but go back to Exodus chapter 29. Just a couple of very simple verses that I want us to look at together. Exodus chapter 29, verse 29. And I want you to listen to what what is written in Exodus chapter 29, verse 29. He's speaking specifically here of the high priest, and this is what he says. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days, the one of his sons who is priest, and in this case high priest, in his stead shall put them on when he enters the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. Well, let me kind of unpack a little bit of what this is communicating. The Jewish priesthood, as was established by God, was to be through Aaron and his descendants. Those were the only ones who would serve in that office of priest. Their role was to, to mediate the gifts and sacrifices on behalf of themselves and the people as a mediating sacrifice between 
God and man. And of those priests, there would be only one chosen as a high priest. And that one high priest would enter in, in the text it says, the holy place, the the holy of holies, once a year on one specific day. So one person, one time a year, on one specific day. And that day was the day of atonement. It was the role of the high priest to, to offer sacrifices on that specific day. You don't need to write this down, but Leviticus 16 is the place where you can kind of see that unfold in terms of that role of the high priest on that day of atonement. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 5, and I want to make the connection here with what he's saying. You'll notice in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1, he's highlighting the fact that this office was an appointed office. Nobody volunteered. In fact, if you did, you were immediately disqualified. Because this was a place of humility. And the reason is, you'll see there in verse 2, is that the person who served as the high priest had to be humble enough to recognize their own sin as well as the sin of the people. They weren't setting themselves apart as something special because the first thing they did is we'll recognize as we go through this process that they offered sacrifice for themselves and for their household before they got to the place where they actually offered a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel. So this was a unique person appointed by God, humble in their attitude, knowing that they are entering into that sacrifice as a fallen man as well. And so Leviticus 16, as I mentioned, talks about this day of atonement. It gives all the details of what this looked like. Let me point out a few things that are important to understand. There was a very uh, descriptive... um, instruction given to how the high priest would dress. Uh, the, the kind and color of his clothes was all prescri- prescribed by God. And, and everything was to be a visual reminder that who this man is is intended to represent the people as a whole. So, for example, he had to wear a, a breastplate that had 12 stones. And those stones represented the 12 tribes of Israel. On the shoulder straps of that breastplate, the names of those 12 tribes were listed, six on each side, so that everything that you saw about this high priest reminded you of the people and nation of Israel with whom he was to represent. As I mentioned, before entering in on behalf of the nation, the first thing that happened is they brought a bull, and he would place his hands on this bull, and he would confess his sins, and the sins of his household. The bull would be sacrificed. He would then take the blood of that sacrifice, going into the Holy of Holies, sprinkling it on the Ark of the Covenant, coming back out. This time, he would go through a similar process with a goat. The goat represented the sins of the people. That goat, too, would be sacrificed. He would, too, take that blood, go into the Holy of Holies, and sprinkle that blood on the Ark of the Covenant. The role of the high priest was to be a mediator between God and man, offering sacrifices for sin, both for himself and for the nation as a whole. Now, it's very important at this point to recognize and understand that this was an imperfect mediator because he had to offer sacrifice for his own sin. And it was an imperfect sacrifice never intended to 
forgive sins by the sacrifice itself. In fact, if you will, turn to Hebrews chapter 10, and I'll show you how the Scripture speaks to that. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Speaking of this sacrificial system, listen to what he says. He says, For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Listen, they're talking specifically about this Day of Atonement. And they're saying that this ritual of sacrifice was never intended to take away sin. It was a shadow of things to come. Now look at what it says in verse 2. Otherwise, we'd have not ceased to be, we, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have consciousness of sin but here's the reason but in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins year by year for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins the writer of hebrews is looking at this ritual prescribed by god and tell and and, and tells us look this was important but it was important not because of what it did to take away sins. It was important because of what it did to remind us of the presence of sin. And the, our need to, to turn to God, to do something about that. To ultimately fulfill promises made on how that issue would ultimately and completely be resolved. It, it would point to something that these people were inca incapable of accomplishing on their own. Something far greater Something that, by, by and large, most people had no concept of how this would be accomplished. But turn back to Hebrews chapter 5 as he explains how God fulfilled his promise. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 5. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest, but he who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Just as he says also in another passage, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications, speaking of Jesus, with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. The author of Hebrews is, is pointing out that like the high priest of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ was appointed to serve in this mediating role. It says there in the beginning of verse 5, so also Christ. But then he draws a very interesting connection, not to the descendants of Aaron, where that priesthood would follow in that lineage, but instead to the order of Melchizedek. And that's a quote from actually Psalm 110, which is a messianic psalm that speaks of how this role of high priest would ultimately be fulfilled in the promised Messiah. Now, we know very little about Melchizedek, and so let's look at the one, ver the, the one set of verses that kind of talks about him in Genesis chapter 14. So turn, if you will, to Genesis chapter 14. I want you to look with me beginning in, in verse 17. 
Abraham has just rescued uh, his brother, Lot. And uh, this is what happens uh, in the aftermath of that victory in verse 17. Then, after his return from the defeat of Shalatimar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva. That is the king's valley. The him in this case is Abraham. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God most high. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God most high, professor, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he, Abraham, gave him a tenth of all. Now, like I said, we know very little. This is about all we have, other than other small references in a couple of other places. But what we have in these verses tells us a lot. The name Melchizedek, in and of itself, is translated to mean king of righteousness. The verses tell us that he was king of Salem. Salem means peace. So Melchizedek was king of righteousness, king of peace. Then in verse 18, it tells us that he was a priest of God. We can see that in this passage that the order of Melchizedek precedes that order of priesthood through Aaron. He existed before that ever came into being. Abraham was a forefather of Aaron, but that hasn't even happened yet. And yet here in this passage, we see that Melchizedek served as a priest and a king. And so much significance that Abraham actually offered him gifts and tithes. We don't know from this description when that office began, when it ended, because there's no account of that in the passage that we looked at. Well, the writer of Hebrews goes back to that setting and he draws from that example and says the same things are true of Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the king of righteousness. Jesus Christ is the king of peace. He is a, a priest forever is what it says. His rule has no beginning or no end. It's always existed. And then if you look at verse 7 at the very end of our passage, in Hebrews chapter 5, at the end of verse 7, it says, And those prayers and supplications that he made on our behalf were heard. Why? Because of his piety. That word piety is intended to communicate a worshipful obedience. Unlike the imperfect priest of the Old Testament who were beset with weaknesses of their own, Jesus lived in perfect obedience. Verse 8 tells us that he learned that obedience through suffering. He was a high priest who identified with his people not by his personal sin because he was tempted in all things and yet without sin, but he identified with those he was mediating on behalf of by entering into their suffering with them. And he learned obedience through that process. As the writer of, uh, of Paul speaking to the Philippians says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
So by comparison, we see here that in the Old Testament, you have this high priest, an imperfect man who had sin of his own, offering an imperfect sacrifice that never was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. But in Christ, he's fulfilling that office in a whole different way. Because now you have a perfect man who knew no sin, offering a perfect sacrifice that was sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. And then the writer of Hebrews explains how that's so. Look at verse 9. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the perfect high priest who alone offered the only sacrifice sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Go back to Hebrews chapter 10 where we looked earlier because the author goes on in that same chapter to talk about what we just said in verse uh, 10. He says in verse 10 of chapter 10, By this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He goes back and makes that comparison. He says, every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which as a reminder, can never take away sins. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. It was a perfect sacrifice of a perfect person that in and of itself was sufficient to perfect those of us who are imperfect to the praise and glory of His name. See, Jesus, unlike the Old Testament high priest, didn't come to offer some other sacrifice. He came to be the sacrifice. That was the sacrifice sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. Back in Hebrews chapter 5, it says there in verse 9 that Christ alone is the source of eternal salvation. That He became the sacrifice that restores the relationship with God that has been broken by sin. It was designated by God, appointed by God in the order of Melchizedek, a priest and king of the Old Testament who, as far as we know, had no beginning, no end. King of righteousness, king of peace. And he promises in that passage in verse 9 and 10 to be the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. That idea of obeying him is to trust him. To align your life with His so that His will is fulfilled in your life. Carrying out His commands. Fulfilling His purposes. So when you put these three lenses together, I hope you see the the depth and breadth of the beauty of who Christ is as our promised Messiah. Jesus Christ is the King of kings. But one who did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He came to, to conquer sin and death so that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And until that day comes, He rules and reigns in the hearts of those who trust Him, who, who obey Him by aligning their lives with God's will as revealed in God's Word. That Jesus is the prophet like Moses, but in a much greater way. He didn't just speak the truth, He was the truth. He didn't just show the way, He is the way. And there is no way to the Father except through Him. He's the perfect high priest. Having offered the perfect sacrifice, the only sacrifice sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man Jesus Christ who gave His life as a ransom for all. He's the source of our eternal salvation and the hope of our redemption. Jesus Christ is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And in all those things greater than we could have ever asked or imagined. Now, what difference does all that make to your life? How does this in any way impact how you should live? Well, I think there's actually a few verses that immediately precede the passage that we looked at this morning that might answer that question for us. So turn to Hebrews chapter 3, I mean, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, usually points to what precedes it. In this case, it does as well. But I want you to think of it in terms of what we just talked about, okay? Based on what we just said about who Christ is as the perfect high priest, listen to what follows. Since we have a great, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. We learn from our passage that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. That he understands because he entered in to the life that we live, having endured the temptations that we face, which is why we can go to him. Because there's nothing that we can take to him that he will not understand. And not just theoretically, like, yeah, I've heard about that. But practically, I've been there, kind of a thing. He understands. And that's why we can go to him with confidence. And I don't want you to think external here. Because it'd be real easy to look at this and say, well, wait a second. Jesus was never married. So how does he know how to speak to, to that particular issue, right? Well, I would suggest to you this. Marriage is based on the foundation of a sacrificial love. Does Jesus know anything about that? Absolutely he does. So you go to him with confidence, knowing that he understands the very basis upon which all relationships are built because he was the author and perfecter of self-sacrificing love. Some of you are younger, and you're learning to grow in your faith and what it means to, to honor God with your life. Well, you too can go to, to God with 
confidence and, and understand that Jesus Christ, too, was a boy who grew to be a man. And the Scripture tells us that he grew in wisdom and stature, in favor with God and man. He understands what it means to, to learn those principles of what God has promised and apply them to your life so that your faith becomes your own. So go to him with confidence, knowing that he understands. And although he's never sinned, it says that he was tempted in all things, yet without sin. And so many of us face these challenges and struggles all throughout our life. And we might look at this and say, well, how does he know about that? Well, he knows because he's been there. He purposefully entered in. And so you can go to him with confidence, knowing that nothing that you encounter is outside of the scope of his understanding. Not theoretically like I've heard about that, but practically like I've been there. And he can help you understand how to live faithfully in obedience because that was his example. He'll help you understand that there is no temptation except that which is common to man. God's faithful and just, not to allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but in everything, provide a way of escape so that you might stand up underneath it. And Jesus understands that. And he wants to help you understand it and live it in your life as well. Go to him with confidence. Do you see how he being our great high priest matters when it comes to approaching the throne of grace so that we might find grace and mercy in our time of need? He's been there. And he's ultimately accomplished what we could never do on our own. And he empowers us through the work of his Holy Spirit to live faithfully in obedience to his word. So go with confidence. That's why it matters. Now I'm going to give you some homework, okay? So just write this down, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Here's why I want you to look at that passage this week. It's the chapter. And it's what is often known as the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Now, we just talked about who Jesus is as the great high priest, right? And one of the things that you know about the example of that high priest is before he went in to offer that atoning sacrifice, there was a prayer that he made on behalf of those he was representing. John chapter 17 is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, spoken in his prayer to God moments before he offered himself as the atoning sacrifice. That's why they call it the high priestly prayer. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take time this week to very slowly and very carefully read that prayer. He's going to talk about two main things in that prayer. One is the relationship that we have with God. And the second is the relationship that we have with one another. And he's going to describe in that prayer the attributes of those two relationships that have been made possible because of the sacrifice he was just about to make on the cross. And so I want you to read chapter 17 through the eyes of the understanding of who Christ is as our great high priest. And that that prayer represents all that he made possible by becoming the perfect atoning sacrifice on our behalf. And so when you read it, just ask yourself, is that what I'm experiencing in my relationship with God as described in the prayer made by our Savior Jesus Christ? Is that what it looks like in my relationship with others as described in that prayer made by our Savior Jesus Christ? Because what he's telling us in John 17 
is this is what I've made possible through my saving work on the cross. We just need to ask ourselves, is it our reality? Is this what we're living? And whether it is or isn't, still go with confidence to the throne of grace, asking God to help you live more fully what he made possible through his atoning sacrifice on the cross as the perfect high priest. One sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all who believe. Amen? Let's pray. Father, what a treasure your word is in so many ways, like every facet of a diamond. It's beautiful in its own, own perfect way. I thank you for the opportunity over the last three weeks to understand who you are as prophet, priest, and, and king. How the fulfillment of those promises far exceeded anything that we could ever ask or imagine. Thank you for being the perfect high priest. Offering for us the only sufficient sacrifice. Sufficient for the forgiveness of sins through your death on the cross. Father, thank you for what you then promise us. For those who believe that that is the source of our eternal salvation. And not something that we just look forward to in the future, but yet you've promised through that prayer that you prayed before having made that sacrifice, what it means for us right now, for those who believe in our relationship with you and our relationship with one another. I pray, I pray that the people in this room who've heard your word this morning would be faithful to look at that chapter and understand your heart when you prayed that prayer and that their desire would be to live out the fulfillment of what you promised to be true and how they relate to you and fellowship through the power of your Spirit, how they relate to one another in fellowship through the power of your Spirit at work within us. May we be faithful to live out the promises that were made possible in you. Every promise of God is yes in Jesus Christ. And may that be true in our life as well. We pray this in the name of our great high priest and savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have a great day.